I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hi, everybody. Something parents and caregivers like me hear on what seems to be a daily basis I don't know how you do it. Most of us nod and smile along with sentiments like these. Kind of like you do when someone says, how's it going? Nobody has the time or bandwidth for a real answer to that in the moment they ask it. They want a head nod and a smile, and that's what we give them. But here's the real answer. We do it because we have no choice. We do it well because we do have a choice. We do it because we're human beings who love each other. You know what it feels like when a child is curled up in your lap and the warmth it creates melts right through your skin and into your soul? For just a moment, you know you are indeed the luckiest person in the entire world. That's how we do it. But my next guest's answer might be a little different because unlike so many of us, he did have a choice. He knew what he was taking on and he did it anyway. This is his story of becoming the legal guardian to his beautiful granddaughter. It's one of the most touching stories I've had the pleasure of listening to. And while there has been no doubt plenty of struggle and heartbreak involved, there's hope and kindness and giving back because he did have a choice and he chose to love. Here's my conversation with one badass grandpa, Jeremy Credlow. Hey, Jeremy. Good morning, Effie. How is it going today? <laughs> it's going excellent. How about you? Day nine or so of going stir crazy, but yes, that's okay. I'm an introvert by nature, so I think I have it better than most. <laughs> yeah, you're thriving a little bit. <laughs> At least not uh, climbing the walls like uh, some of the more extroverted people must be right now. Oh, one of my girlfriends is a super introvert, and this has actually been kind of stressful for her because now she feels like everyone knows she's available for, like, video calls. <laughs> <laughs> so she kind of hates it. I don't have an out. I used to have an escape clause all the time. Exactly. But now, yeah, that's that's a fair point. Well, Jeremy, I've been looking forward to chatting with you again since we met on the phone a couple months ago. I was connected to you through... My father-in-law, Luis Mendoza, sort of the Father's Network is where everyone kind of found each other there. That's where it all coalesced. Yeah. I'm also really amazed with how many hats you are able to wear right now while being a full-time caregiver, but we'll get to that later on. Sounds good. Yeah. So I just, why don't we just start from the beginning? Your story is really fascinating and tell everybody who you are. My name is Jeremy Credlow. I am the grandfather and custodial guardian of Kylie Hartke. She is uh, my granddaughter and she is 11 years old. Kylie was born in October of 2008. My oldest daughter, Kirsten, her mother had a regular pregnancy with no warning signs that anything was wrong. She went into labor 
and was in labor for over 24 hours. She is about 90 pounds uh, normally. So when she had reached the 24 hour mark in labor, the OBGYN decided that it was time to perform an emergency C-section for failure to progress. I sat in the operating room holding her hand during the C-section. And the first words that were spoken in the delivery room after Kylie was delivered were by the anesthesiologist who said, congratulations, you have a quiet baby. The second words that were spoken were from the delivering physician who yelled, she's not breathing, get her into ICU. Kylie had at some point, either during labor or shortly before labor, had lost oxygen for an extended period of time, cause of which is still unknown. And the loss of oxygen had been sustained for long enough that the majority of her brain tissue was killed from the loss of oxygen. She was put into the NICU uh, and they didn't believe at that time that she would survive the first 24 hours. Uh, her, she wasn't passing urine. She had a number of concerning health conditions that they just didn't know if she would be able to survive due to the extent of the brain damage. But she did. After the first 24 hours, her body started responding normally and she started hitting all of the autonomic milestones that were necessary to sustain life. And she remained in the NICU for the first two months of her life. There were obviously a series of tests that were done. Her APGAR scores, for those people who are familiar with them, are, were generally about as low as you can get. She was diagnosed with hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, or HIE, which is essentially global brain damage, and seizures. And those were the two primary diagnoses at the time. She spent that first two months in the NICU with occasional visits, and she eventually was able to be taken home. She spent the next six months of her life living with my daughter uh, at my ex-wife's house and she was on a number of medications she was tube fed through an ng tube nasogastral intubation so basically a feeding tube that went up through her nose and then down her throat into her stomach and she cried all the time in a lot of pain Obviously, things were not going well for her. After about six months, it became pretty evident that she needed a better quality of care and a better quality of life than she was able to get there. And I stepped in and took temporary guardianship of her to help my daughter out and to help Kylie out. I signed paperwork for six months to help Kylie, help both of them out, and started getting things in place for Kylie. Started getting home care nurses to come to the house to help medical transportation, neurology appointments, 
all of the things that needed to happen to make sure that she was able to have the best quality of life and the best quality of care that could be provided. However, it became clear during that time that a temporary solution was not what was needed and that once everything was in place and she had that quality of care and that quality of life, that going back to live with my daughter and my ex-wife was not going to be in Kylie's best interests. And I made the very difficult and very heartbreaking decision to go to court to get full guardianship, full permanent guardianship of Kylie because of my concerns. Yeah, it's incredibly heartbreaking and so valiant at the same time. I'm amazed how you were able to accomplish all of this, becoming her guardian while kind of grappling with the grief of it all. The grief has definitely been a challenge at times. Thankfully, for from whatever it is in my my past, I've always had kind of the ability to compartmentalize that and do the things that need to be done and set aside the emotion until what needs to be done is done. And so during that time, I was able to kind of set that aside and say, you know, yes, this is heartbreaking. Yes, this is difficult, but Kylie doesn't need me to deal with the emotion right now. She needs me to deal with the legalities and the medical needs. And I threw myself into that and really focused on making sure that all of that was in place and kind of set the emotion to the side for a while until I had the rest of it figured out. And then I grieved in my own way on my own time. Did you have a tough time navigating the system, if you could call it that? I mean, you're obviously a doer, but it sounds like you got everything set up so quickly, stuff that takes some of us years if we ever figure it out. How were you able to do that and have like this sudden, you know, sharp turn in your life? There were a couple of things that really helped me out in that. You know, the time that Kylie was coming to live with me uh, was shortly after the recession had hit in 2008. So she was born in October of 2008. The recession hit and I ended up getting laid off from my job. Thankfully, I had position myself financially where I didn't need to go back to work right away, which was good considering the state of the economy at the time. And I was able to have that time, that dedicated time to focus on Kylie and her needs while I wasn't working. My background was as a project manager. And while I worked in information technology, part of being a project manager is knowing how to not take no for an answer, knowing how to escalate, knowing how to sequence things and ensure that you understand risks and action items. And, you know, one of the things that I often say is my background made me uniquely suited to the situation that I found myself in with Kylie. Totally. Huge leg up. <laughs> it, well, and that cuts both ways in a way is what it did was it allowed me to be successful in getting Kylie's services set up quickly and to get the things done that needed to be done and to navigate the system and to know who the real decision makers were. 
But the thing that it exposed to me was that I was a professional project manager with a significant amount of experience. I have a master's degree. I was financially stable and I had trouble navigating the system. And it exposed to me how much more difficult that would be for someone who English was their second language or they were a young parent without that type of professional background or they didn't have those same educational advantages or they were living paycheck to paycheck in a minimum wage job and didn't have that financial security that allowed me to pursue some of the things that needed to be pursued. And it reinforced to me how difficult the system is to navigate and how many people out there probably don't have the services that they need and are entitled to just because they don't know how to navigate that system. Absolutely. I'm one of them. Uh, I don't have the hurdles of a lot of the people like you mentioned. And like you said, I mean, every time something's extremely difficult for me, I go to that place and I'm like, how? How is anyone supposed to be able to figure this out? It's not just daunting. It's overwhelming. Yes. Thankfully, my first foray into that in Indiana, I had people who were caring and mentoring a couple of key people came to mind and Kylie's case manager was very understanding and just a wonderful woman who helped make sure that she had what she needed and what she was entitled to, which is not always the case. And I had a speech therapist who gave me some of the best advice I'd received. You know, I had been trying to get Kylie into early intervention services for months and had been unsuccessful just because they weren't able to provide those services when Kylie was at my ex-wife's. When she came to live with me, that first day, the speech therapist came directly to the house as soon as she heard that, as soon as I called the early intervention services. She came to the house and started talking to me. And she had two children, grown children at this point, who had had significant, significant brain damage from various events, one at birth and one from a car accident later in life. And the advice that she gave me at that time was that soon, not necessarily that day, but soon, I needed to figure out what I was going to be doing for myself, what time I was going to set aside, what hobby or passion I was going to pursue that was just about me and not about Kylie. Because if I didn't do that, I was going to, at some point in the future, take a look at myself and realize that my entire identity was wrapped up in being Kylie's caregiver. And I thought, when she told me that, this woman has no idea who I am and does not know what she's talking about. And I was wrong. I was completely wrong. (laughs) And I will freely admit that. And a few months after that, I started to see that trend. I started to see more and more of my life and my time and my identity becoming consumed by this thing that I was doing, this person that I was becoming, which was Kylie's caregiver. And 
well, that is beautiful. And I will never in any way, shape or form regret the changes that Kylie has brought into my life. I knew that that wasn't the sum of everything that I wanted to be in my life and everything I wanted to do with my life. And so I made a conscious choice to branch out. I started studying martial arts just as a time to get out of the house, to get some exercise, to do something different. It was something I'd been interested in as a kid. Always thought it was kind of cool and I would love to learn martial arts and just had never done it. And that helped quite a bit. That dedicated time that was just about me and my hobbies and my pursuits. Yeah, finally coming up for air for the first time. Exactly. <laughs> it makes me so emotional to think about that because I think we all definitely go through that time where we have a little sliver to notice it and act on it. Absolutely agree. One of the challenges that we as caregivers of children with severe disabilities often face is trying to convince ourselves that what we're doing is enough. It always feels like there's more. There's another therapy that I should be getting. There's another appointment that I should be putting in place. There's more time that I should be spending working on organizing her medical equipment. There's one more clinical trial that could possibly help if I was involved in that. And why haven't I tried hyperbaric oxygen therapy for her? And will cranial sacral massage be something that would have benefited her? And if only I had a pool, a heated pool in the backyard for aquatic therapy, and I had hired a therapist to do aquatic therapy with her three hours a day, if only, if only, if only, and there's always something more more, and there's always something, so many things that we feel like we're failing at because we haven't done those things. And the reality that I've come to accept, or at least my reality that I've come to accept, is that I am doing enough. I'm doing all of the things that I can do that are providing the right balance for ensuring that not only Kylie has the quali best quality of life that I can give her, but that I have the best quality of life that I can as well. How did you get to that point, Jeremy? Like what resources or mindset did you place yourself in that helped you get to that place where you knew you were doing the best that you could in taking care of you and Kylie? That's a great question. And I don't know if I have an easy answer for that. It wasn't purposeful. I didn't read a book that fundamentally changed my life or go to a seminar where somebody, where there was this illuminating moment of epiphany that, and everything fell into place. It was more gradual than that. It started with that speech therapist, for sure. It started with those words that she told me, where she let me know that I couldn't just be Kylie's caregiver because that wouldn't be enough. And at some point I would look back and I may even resent her because all of my life had been consumed with caring for her. And I never wanted to get to that point because I love her. And so I made that first step of carving out that time for myself. And slowly over time, other things started happening. I had a really dear friend that used to come over and would bring Chinese food to my house every Friday night. And she and Kylie and I would sit on the couch and watch Comedy Central stand up. And it just made a little space for things to not be about Kylie. And I started carving out a little time to write. And eventually I started carving out a little time to start giving back to other people, to start doing volunteer work in the disabilities community 
to help other people not have to learn things the hard way. And it was because of Kylie, but it wasn't for Kylie. It was for me. Using your skills that you had before. My skills that I had before and the experiences that I'd had with Kylie. You know, I volunteered to work through the Arc of King County's Helping Parent Program, where I act as a emotional support, a guide, a coach, a mentor, a shoulder to cry on, whatever whatever somebody needs when they're just beginning this journey. I didn't know that existed. <laughs> Something to look into. It's a pretty powerful program. What they do is when somebody has a child with a new diagnosis or, you know, they there's something going on like that. Now, those parents call in, the ARC will try to connect them with a helping parent who has a child with maybe a similar medical condition who's a bit older or somebody who has a similar family situation, uh, depending on what it is that you really need help and support with. And those helping parents are trained and help in being that guide and that mentor and they'll reach out and basically just see what it is that you need. And that can range from a very tactical, I just need to understand the process for respite hours started all the way to, I feel so alone. None of my friends or my family understand and they do their best, but they just, they just don't understand the life that I'm living and they can't help me. And I need somebody to reach out to that knows that what this journey is that I'm on and what it's like and how lonely and heartbreaking it can be. I've been doing that type of volunteer work for a few years now and teaching storytelling advocacy techniques to parents of children with disabilities, helping them understand and realize how the power of their story with their child can be the impetus that's needed to advocate for change in policies and with school boards and park district, whoever it is that needs to understand where these, what changes need to be made. Again, because they are advocacy work, they're a result of Kylie being in my life. They are something that I never would have done if she was not in my life. But I don't do those things for her. I do those things for me. You're such a force, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that if I had to sum up what a difference Kylie has made in my life, it's that she's made me the man that I've always wanted to be. And I don't know that that would have ever happened if it wasn't for her. I'm going to go ahead and say you're the most eligible grandpa. <laughs> 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 so what about other men? What would you say to other dads, grandparents, male caregivers who are feeling alone or who are maybe hesitant about reaching out to others to find some community? I know it's probably a little more difficult for guys. I'm generalizing that, obviously, but I think it is. I think it is. I don't think generalizing is necessarily bad. I believe throwing people into a category and defining them by the, that category can be bad, but some stereotypes exist for a reason. And as men, one of the challenges that we have is that we're generally taught by society, by our fathers, by our peers, by the other boys on the playground, whatever, whoever it happens to be, that really the only emotion that's valid is anger. Anything else needs to get stuffed down and ignored. And if you're going to express emotion, it's anger. That's toxic, toxic 
way to live your life, at least in my opinion. If I was going to talk to other dads about that, I guess one of the things I would say is understand that this isn't something that you can fix. Your child isn't broken. You're not going to be able to come up with a solution that makes everything better. But there are some things that you can control and some things that you can do to make things better. Focus on those. And some of those things that you can do and in my opinion should do, are to work through your own emotions, to reach out to other people, other men who are going through this, and share your experiences, share your frustrations, share your anger, share your grief. We're not alone in this, and we don't have to solve this ourselves or fix this ourselves. That's not what this is about. The other thing that I would really encourage men in this situation to do is to understand that it is okay to not be okay. You don't always have to be the strong one, the stoic rock, the shoulder to cry on. Sometimes you can be the one who does the crying. Sometimes you can be the one who just can't get through the day today without taking some time for yourself to really work through what you're going through. You know, as men, in this society anyway, or at least speaking from my own experience, we're supposed to be fixers. We're supposed to be the doers. We're supposed to be the ones who you can turn to for strength and the ones who are going to make it all better. And not being that person is seen as weakness in our society. But this is a very lonely journey and it's very difficult to deal with this by yourself. And there are very few people out there who truly understand what this is like. You know, I get comments from people all the time who want to sympathize and empathize with what this journey is like. And they try, and I can't fault them for trying. But the things that they say just show how far, how large of a gap there is between having a child with severe disabilities and just about anything else. It's so much bigger. Having a neurotypical, developmentally typical child compared to having a child with severe disabilities is, is exponentially more of a gap than even having a child and not having any children. And I will tell you from my experience, people who don't have any kids don't have any concept of what it's like to have kids. None whatsoever. <laughs> they will tell you they do, but they make those comparisons like, oh, I know exactly what it's like. I've got two cats. <laughs> not, not the same at all. <laughs> <laughs> what I've found that's been helpful is talking to people who have that shared experience. I worked with a man once in the volunteer program whose little girl was born with extensive brain damage. And he reached out to me for basically anything he could get. He didn't know where to start, what to do. He was floundering. And what he thought he was reaching out for was tactical, how do I fix this type of information? How do I get this type of service? How do I enroll in this? What do I do about my job? And those types of things. And after we started talking, it became pretty clear to both of us that what he was really looking for was a connection with somebody who understood. And he told me that he had people in his life that he was very close to, that his brother had been his best friend since they were little and they did everything together. But that until he and I talked, he hadn't realized how much he needed to talk to somebody who truly understood. That he and his brother couldn't share this because his brother had no idea what it was truly like. And that sitting with somebody 
who had that shared experience. Sitting and talking with somebody who knew what he was going through was in and of itself the most important gift that I'd given him. I believe it. I think a lot of us have had that moment where we've finally felt seen Mm -hmm. and it's almost the first time that you relax and you feel like, oh, maybe I can be like everyone else. I can have a (laughs) normal life, whatever that means. (laughs) Yeah, that moment for me was with the speech therapist. All the early intervention angels. Exactly. Bless them for everything that they do. I've met some incredible people along this journey. People who have helped to restore my faith in humanity. Not all humanity, maybe, but definitely. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Definitely some of it. There's so many givers, like genuine givers. It's unbelievable how many of those people I have met over the years who just pour their heart and soul into helping people. And usually it's not for financial return. No, there's no money here. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. What a valuable mentor that man chose. Well, you know, it's one of those situations where I probably learned as much from him as he did from me. I think that all of these relationships are give and take in terms of what you learn and what you get from them. I believe that. You're just making me cry all day. I'm so glad I wore mascara before (laughs) talking to you. Sorry about that. (laughs) I could just listen to you tell me stories all day. But I do kind of want to close on Kylie. How old is she now? She's 11. She's 11. Almost 11 and a half. She's creeping up (laughs) there now. Yes, she be a teenager. is. <laughs> oh, that's going to be tough. <laughs> what are your favorite parts of the day with Kylie? So she's 11. And her brain damage is so severe that uh, she has a number of other medical conditions. You know, she's completely blind and she has advanced cerebral palsy and just a number, a host of other medical conditions. But she's happy most of the time, way more of the time now than she's ever been in her life. Most of the time she's smiling, but she can't roll over on her own. She still has a G-tube, so she's fed through, she's G-tube fed. She can't sit up unassisted and she can't talk or communicate other than through crying or smiling, although we've been working for a few years on getting a system for yes or no put in place for her and getting her to be able to use that consistently and understand the theory behind it. So it's difficult with her to have activities that we do together that are meaningful to both of us, but what she and I both get a lot of joy out of is our snuggle time. So in the evenings, uh, we will sit in my theater room, snuggled in on the couch and just watch movies or TV shows together. And she doesn't really care what we oh, watch. You're lucky. So that's cool. Oh, I get to God, watch whatever so I want, right? I've com- <laughs> complete control of the remote. I don't have to, you know, I'm not watching kids shows every evening. <laughs> so that's, that's fantastic. I did my time with my, with my daughters, uh, watching, Mary-Kate and Ashley and Barney and, you know, I've worked through the PTSD associated (laughs) to that. So now I get to watch whatever I want with Kylie. But the whole time that we're just snuggled in, she has this beautiful smile on her face. She loves being held. She loves having that time with just her and I. And, you know, it's interesting. Because she doesn't have very many communication mechanisms, but the bond that she and I have shows in other ways. You know, she has wonderful caregivers that work with her, some of whom have been with her for 
one of them has been has been with her for six and a half years and has been doing 40 hour weeks with her that whole time and she is a lovely caring warm human being but even after all that time i will come home and kylie will be crying and just inconsolable and her caregiver will tell me i've done this and i've done that and i've held her and i've talked to her and i've bounced her and i've done all of these things and none of it's working. She's just really, really upset. And then I will pick her up and I'll put her head against my shoulder. And within 30 seconds or less, she's smiling <laughs> and she's happy. Victory. <laughs> and, <laughs> and my care, caregiver will be giving me a death glare over Kylie's shoulder. <laughs> like, that's exactly what I did several times. And then you walk in here and you do the same exact thing and it works for you when it didn't work for me. <laughs> I feel her pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Been there with uh, with your husband as well? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I think it's because she knows she's safe and secure and we have that bond and she knows that I'll do anything for her. Yeah, of course it is. On a fundamental level. Oh, so. The snuggle time. I can yeah. picture it. There's nothing more fulfilling. It's, I gotta admit, uh, she's not the only one that's a fan. It's <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely the best part of my day as well. I love that. Uh, Jeremy, is there anything else that you would like to share before we close? You know, I think there are a lot of things that I've learned over the years. And a lot of it is, you know, the tactical, the logistics, the medicinal, and as most of us, most of us learn over the years that how to navigate services, who to reach out to for information. All of those things are very, very important and very, very challenging. And it's very, and I think it's essential that people do their best to find those resources. But I really do want to encourage everyone who's on this journey to really understand and really focus on that concept that what you are doing is enough. You are doing everything that you can and you're not failing. You're doing so much more for your child than most people do for their children. And it's vitally important that you make that time for yourself as well. Be okay with the idea that it's okay to step away, that you are more than just a caregiver and you are more than just your child's parent. You have your, and need your own identity. And you hear it time and again, you know, from that self-care is important and you can't pour from an empty cup and a hundred other sayings. And I just want to share that in my experience, I am an infinitely better caregiver because I've taken that time for myself to pursue the things that I want and need in my own life. That taking that time and making the effort to take care of myself has made all of the difference, not only for me, but for Kylie. I'm 100% with you there, Jeremy. I preach this a lot. It's just like anything. I mean, it's the foundation of all of it, and it has to be nurtured constantly, I think. It does. That's a great point, Effie. It really does. It's very easy to throw yourself into the next challenge that's coming along to really pursue the next medical condition or therapy that needs to be attained and go at that 100 miles an hour trying to make that happen and then allow your own time and your own needs to get put towards the back of, or the bottom of the pile. Earlier you said it's okay to not be okay. And it reminded me of a book that I have listened to now probably four or five times since having Ford. And I think it was originally written 
speaking to the uh, demographic of people who have lost loved ones, but I found it to be such a good resource in just exactly what you said. It's okay to not be okay. And that's the title of the book. And it really helped me move through a lot of all of those really hard emotional stages. And it made me, it made me at peace when I was in the depths of despair in a way, you know, being okay with being not okay. (laughs) I do understand that. I think one of the things that people don't really focus on or maybe understand, especially people who haven't been through it, is a lot of what we're dealing with is grief. And we're not just dealing with grief once. We're dealing with this never-ending cycle of grief for the things that our child will never do. This is not going to be the way that I thought it was going to be. There are things that milestones that happen or events that happen that restart that grief cycle all over again. One of the ones that always stands out to me, and I actually use this as an example in my storytelling training is, you know, Kylie was a year old and I had taken her to Riley Children's Hospital for a series of tests. And one of the things that happened when we were talking to the neurologist was that Kylie's eyes weren't tracking correctly. She had this, what they call doll eye syndrome, where her eyes were kind of rolling independently and not tracking light. And I went to see, we were able to get into a pediatric ophthalmologist. They did a series of tests for an hour and I sat there in their waiting room waiting for the results. At this time, she didn't have any diagnoses related to her vision. And when the doctor came out with the test results, he told me she has, Kylie has 100% cortical visual impairment. That's a result of scarring on her optic nerves from the loss of oxygen and damage to her brain. And she's never going to see anything including light or movement. And I sat there in his waiting room with Kylie on my lap and I started crying. Tears rolling down my face like someone had just punched me in the solar plexus and taken the wind completely out of me. And being blind is not the worst medical condition that Kylie had. A year before that, I didn't even think she would live. But for some reason, that moment, I went right into that grief cycle again, because here was one more thing that had been taken away from this girl. And I realized over time, nothing was taken away from her. She's never been able to see. She didn't have this vision, this ability to see the world, and then had it taken away from her, she never even knew what that was like. Her whole, her whole life is based on smell and sound and most importantly, touch for her. What I was really grieving for was me. All the things that I thought she would be able to do that she wouldn't be able to do and how different that was than my expectations. And there've been a dozen examples of that over the years just kind of diving back into that grief cycle over and over again. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it isn't just a one-off. It's blow after blow, and uh, you have to recognize it and give it what it's due. You don't work through grief by ignoring it, unfortunately. It would be wonderful (laughs) if you could. If it just went away (laughs) on its own, that would be fantastic. But that's not, unfortunately, the way it works. Making the time and space to work through that can be important. Yeah. And even to recognize that that's what you're feeling. Yeah. Jeremy, I'm hanging up on you. Sorry. God. <laughs> Sorry. My, my intention was not to make you cry. No, I don't <laughs> mind crying. I think you're so awesome and you're such a valuable resource as 
a grandparent, as a caregiver, as a project manager, as a volunteer at the ARC and the Fathers Network. Um, <laughs> you're just, you're all the things. And I'm so happy I got connected to you. And I'm so glad to be able to share your story. I think so many people, not just males, are going to connect with your insight and your wisdom at such a deep impactful level and i'm really grateful that you were able to share it with us it has been a pleasure and an honor i want to be able to give back in a way that other people have given back to me i want to help people through this journey like i said before it can be lonely and it's definitely one of the most difficult things i've ever been through and there are very few people who understand so to be able to give back and to help others through this is, it's a blessing and a calling. And I don't know if that's why Kylie is in my life, but again, I wouldn't be the man that I that I am if it wasn't for her. So I'm not going to ignore that and downplay that. I am more than willing to help anybody who needs help, Effie. So if you have people who listen to your podcast or are looking for resources or just struggling, feel free to reach out to me, have them reach out to me. I'll do whatever I can to help. Okay. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. Ha 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 